Museum of the Moving Image welcomes you to the Pinewood Dialogues Online, an archive of conversations with innovative creative figures in film, television, and digital media. Visit Museum of the Moving Image in New York City or online at www.movingimage.us. Please welcome back Tim Robbins. Well, how does it feel for you watching it today? You know, as, as somebody who's been um, attacked re so recently for speaking their mind, what what feelings come up when you're sitting there watching your this film? I was thinking, you know, the, it's always you know you always see something and you say, oh, I could have you know <laughs> done that and I could have done uh -huh. that. But no, it's uh, it was great because I haven't seen it with an audience uh, yeah. since it came out. So that was really that was cool. And uh, this, I, just to jump back, because I, I, you know, when I watch this film, I keep thinking how fresh it is and how you know up to date it is. But just to jump back to the, to the time it was made, this was made. I mean, the first appearance of Bob Roberts was uh, on a Saturday Night Live short film. Is that right? I uh, did a short film. Um, uh, he, back then he was just a businessman uh, and as I kept writing it his ambitions grew and he became a politician okay. um, but it was originally written I, I came back actually to do a, a movie called Five Corners here in New York and hadn't been back home I grew up here in Greenwich Village and uh, hadn't been back for about six or seven years and I had noticed such a gentrification had happened in my old neighborhood you know and a lot of where there were old uh, um, uh, first-generation immigrants with stores, now there were David's Cookies. and uh -huh. So I kind of was re revolted by that, and so I started writing this character of a, a, a yuppie folk singer. Uh, there's, judging from the credits where there are so many Robins, uh, members, yeah. I guess, of the Robins family, you seem to have a musical background. Yeah, um, my dad was a folk singer, actually. Yeah, yeah. He was um, in a group called the Highwaymen. And um, I, I saw a lot of those old folk concerts, so that mm. stuff is really in our blood. And me and my brother uh, wrote the song, We're paying homage to his past. He's the preacher in the in the mm. in the church. My dad, uh, the one, uh, mm. and um, my sister Gabrielle is the one that sings outside the hospital, prevailing tides. <laughs> and um, yeah. And what was it like making the film at this time? I mean, you had major studio, you had um, Miramax, but Paramount involved. So it's a major studio film. Uh, the culture wars are going on. I mean, this is, well, yeah. it wasn't at the, at the it, time that you made it. Well, when I made it, it was Working Title. It was actually an English uh, hmm. company that gave me the money to do it. No American company. Okay, so you, you went out and made it. Yeah, and okay. so uh, the reason why Miramax and Paramount became involved is because we got it into director's fortnight at Cannes and mm. showed it there and it became such a big hit there mm. and so there's a like a people were interested bidding mm. on it in Cannes and that's how it got sold to to Miramax and Paramount okay and was that during I mean if it was released in 92 I guess was it it was sort of in the midst of the the election it was yeah season. we we yeah it was before the election yeah uh so it came out in September and the ele and the election that Clinton won was in November that yeah, year, yeah. So it became a, um, a part of uh, of the political landscape at the time. Yeah, and and what was the climate? I mean, it's it's just um, you know amazing the sort of cultural situation today when you really you know if you speak out um, in opposition 
to what the president is doing, you're, you know, it's, it's seen as unpatriotic by a lot of people. Well, but, I was so really, what, what kind of response? I mean, I was happy to hear that line in there. Yeah. I had forgotten about that line in the in the television interview that Lynn Thigpen is doing early on in the film, where yeah. uh, she says, "Well, you're saying." To, to criticize the president is unpatriotic, which is <laughs> so. <clears throat> I guess that's yeah. been around for a long time. Now you did feel. I mean, we were talking before the screening about this, but you did feel like this film might have an impact in, in you know, in the election, for example. I mean, you, you know, it's a it's a comedy, but you, there was a real intention to be doing something politically with it. Well, I thought it was necessary to bring up Iran Contra, which somehow just got swept under the rug. And mm -hmm. I guess you you could kind of substitute Enron right now for that. Mm -hmm. um, <clears throat> seems we never really. In case anybody remembers that. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah. we didn't. No one went to jail for that. Yeah. And just just talk about sort of right, I guess writing this and creating the characters, particularly the the sort of liberal characters of Gore Vidal's Brickley Paste and then the Giancarlo Esposito's characters who are saying things that we presume you agree with. You know, in some ways you make uh, Brickley Paste, uh, you know, the kind of liberal that gets attacked so easily, just being an old-fashioned liberal. Liberal. Yeah, and and, and, and Bugs is kind yeah. of extremist, so. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think you have to be accurate in the way you portray those people as well. And, mm -hmm. you know, I didn't want to have a knight on, in shining armor on a horse. I just didn't think it would work mm -hmm. because there are, really are no people like that. But uh, Gore brought a lot of that to the movie. And there's one, that scene where he's got his tie off um, yeah. was an unscheduled scene. We shot it one day when we were on a location and we just basically took two hours out of the schedule and I, I asked if I could interview him after he was defeated by Bob Robertson. So a lot of that is just gore, just, yeah. you know, bringing his knowledge and his perspective of the political scene. And in terms of what films you had in mind, I mean, some, um, you know, Robert Altman had, had did a sort of fake documentary, 10 or 88, which had a mix of documentary and fiction techniques. Um, and the player was made around this time. Um, was Robert Altman particularly an influence in what you... Oh, well, he's always been an influence. I yeah. mean, one of the films that kind of changed the way I look at films was Nashville. Um, I love the multi-layered storytelling in that. Uh, I guess the biggest influence on this film was uh, Pennebaker's Don't Look Back, hmm. which is I ripped off a couple of scenes oh, from... Freewheel and <coughs> Bob Roberts, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the the uh the video of the wall street rap is from that and mm, the right. um <clears throat> the scene where he, he's in the back of the bus and he's typing and his clarissa is playing the guitar it's a scene in um scene in pennebaker's film oh, where uh, joan okay. baez is playing the guitar and he's typing mm. dylan is typing mm. so um th that was a, a major influence on this film well, a question about working with actors, and this is your first feature film as a director, so just if you could talk about, and, and a, an amazing cast, I mean, it's just amazing the people who pop up in this film. Having been an actor myself, I, I love actors. I just love them. I, I respect everything they do, and so that when I get a chance to work with them and draw things out of them, I, I, I don't know specifically what, you, what it is, but it's, I, I have a, a deep love for them. So when the sets are usually very protected and very uh, welcoming for, for actors. I, I, I don't like directors that play trips, you know, to try to get performances out of you and manipulate you and, you know, do emotional stuff. I learned a great a deal from working with the Actors Gang in Los Angeles and writing and directing for them. And one of the things that we we started working on about three years after we started 
was a workshop process that has no negativity in it. So when it, it revolves around being coming on stage in an emotion, and uh, that's all it takes, if, as long as you're in an emotion. And what it eliminates is that thing where you do scene study and everyone criticizes it at the end. There's no criticism allowed. Pe actors know if it works or if it doesn't work. You don't have to sit around and have a post-mortem where everyone you know, talks about what didn't work. You know what I mean? That's, that's ultimately destructive. So we try to create an environment when we're working together as in the actors' game that's purely positive and purely supportive. And of course, you're interested in the idea of, of politi politics as performance. I mean, the idea that, at, that politicians are acting all the time, too. Is <laughs> yeah, <laughs> some of them are pretty good, too. <laughs> was this a hard film to get financed? Oh, yeah. It, was a, it took about five years to get the really? money for it, yeah. Uh -huh. um, first of all, I hadn't directed before, but uh, it was actually uh, Mark Johnson and Barry Levinson kind of... Uh, provided the final push for it mm. to happen and their endorsement of it and involvement in it really helped it happen. It's really hard, you know, when you're trying to convince someone to give you, you know, a couple million dollars to, to do something that's in your head, you know. And and I put it on in the script as much as I could, but, you know, this kind of film, a lot develops on the set, so they had to trust. Uh, and I think it, it was helpful that I, I had the player coming out and so, you know. Okay. Well, is there improvisation? I mean, this is in the documentary style. Um, there there was some. Uh, there was some. Uh, some I, sometimes I just had like a, a framework. Um, and then I can't remember because it's all, it was all, a lot of it was written at the last minute kind of things. You know, we'd talk about it and then I'd script something the night before. I probably wouldn't be able to work with a, a major studio film because of that process you know I really love rewriting at the last minute and that makes them really nervous hmm. but it, it really helps because you're in the moment in the creative moment on a film and you know what's working and you get and so I, I oftentimes at the end of the day after dailies I'll go home and rewrite this scene for the next day which the actors kind of hate actually because there's no coverage you know usually you do a master and then you move in for a two shot and then hmm. get the close-ups but because of the the because it's a documentary, it can only be one shot. So hmm. what we would do is we would oftentimes just <clears throat> rehearse uh, the scene and where the camera is. Hmm. And there's a lot of shots that are done in one. Hmm. And so uh, it was more uh, the theatrical training of the actors was really came in handy because they could m hit marks, but also developed a performance as the rehearsal went, and then it would be there for the film. You're obviously satirizing some of the characters, but they're sort of playing them straight in a way. So is there anything about working, like getting Well, some it, of them? It's the, there's an expression, play the lie, which mm -hmm. is, uh, which is uh, for actors, which is a, a real important thing, you know, that you're never lying. You're mm -hmm. always telling the truth. So play <laughs> the lie. The lie is the truth. Hmm. I should mention that he's going to Cannes in two days for the premiere of Mystic River with uh, Clint Eastwood's film. Yeah, it's a good one, yeah. <laughs> Clint Eastwood is the best. Mm -hmm. As a director, well, as a person too, mm -hmm. he's really, really decent human being, and uh, he's uh, you know it's it's such a great lesson because you know I have a picture of uh, of Jimmy Stewart on, on in my office, uh, mainly there because he's one of my favorite actors of all time, but also mainly because he was a Republican, and I want to I want him there to to remind me that that kind of stuff doesn't matter. 
uh, when you're talking about these kind of, th- this kind of thing with creative process, uh, I think people too often make judgments about all Republicans in a way that's really not going to get us anywhere. You know, there's an awful lot of Republicans that contacted me after the, the Baseball Hall of Fame controversy in support, basically saying, you know, I, didn't, I don't agree with your politics, but you have a right to express them. And, and we have to remember that when we're trying to, you know, uh, create uh, unity. It's really important not to make judgments on people simply because they're Republicans or Libertarians or, or uh, Green Party or Democrats. You know, this, just as for me, it's really more about how you treat people and, and what kind of person you are. How much shooting did you did? I mean, what was the shooting ratio like? Did you shoot a lot more than you used? Um, not much. No, yeah. we we didn't have much money. <laughs> we didn't have much stock, so we had to make it work. And uh, so we would do about, you know, some of the one shots we'd do more takes with because it's all we had, um, but never over four or five takes, which is which is more than I did with Clint Eastwood, who only does two takes. And it really, you get in this really incredible mode of discipline and, and, and focus when you're working with him. Okay, just if you could say anything about working on Shawshank Redemption, which was a very influential film. At the time, we didn't have any idea it would become what it's become culturally and emotionally and spiritually for people. Um, uh, it was uh, done in Ohio, uh, in Mansfield, Ohio. And... Um, it was a great script, one of the best I've, the best I've ever read. And we shot it in the summer in a working prison, and uh, it was a great experience. You know, Mar- Morgan has become a really good friend, and um, I, I really, what I'm really moved by the fact that so many people uh, view that film as important. And it really, it, you know, it makes me feel great to, to have been part of that. Well, how much rehearsal did you do? This film we would do, um, depend on the scene, but uh, like for that scene that goes all the way down the hall at the beauty pageant and around, and we had to do about you know six rehearsals without him holding the camera because it was that was you know that was so difficult. It was a heavy camera too. It wasn't one of those lightweight things, so we had to save that for the actual shooting. And then we I think shot it maybe four times. How much of your experience on tape heads came through when you were directing? Oh, uh, not much, not much. Uh, it's hard for me to remember that film because I, I was really groggy when I was doing it. And then I, the last week of um, shooting, I went to see a doctor, and it turns out I had mononucleosis while I was shooting that film. I couldn't understand why my attitude was so bad and I had no energy, you know? I was like... <laughs> <laughs> There's so many people just say Hollywood actors should not be political. You mentioned Michael Moore. He got a lot of criticism, I mean, tons of criticism for making a political uh, statement. It's so, just, that's, you know, I wonder what people would think if they said that doctors shouldn't be political or <laughs> bakers shouldn't be political or auto mechanics shouldn't be political. I mean, it's just, it's ridiculous. It's, we're all citizens. We all have a right. I think what upsets them is that we might have some access mm-hmm. to the media and uh, that when we do, that oftentimes they they are uncomfortable with that, and uh, I can understand why, but that doesn't mean we don't have the right to it. Is it difficult to maintain creative control today as a director? I've been really lucky because I've had this other career, so I, I've been able to say no, uh, And uh, but it, it is difficult for um, 
uh, for some. I, I learned a really important lesson early on about uh, a director I worked with. Uh, we were at Daly's, and it was this third day of shooting, and we were at Daly's, and I heard this commotion behind me, and I look over and I see the director has taken the producer up and lifted him up and has got him pressed against the wall, and he says, you ever talk to any of my actors again, I'll fucking kill you, in front of everybody. And I realized, this is his first movie, and from that <laughs> point on, I, I, he was left alone. Now, he was taking a chance there. I mean, he could have been fired, but he, he, what he did was he set the limit, and he said, I'm going to make my movie, or you can fire me, either one is good. And I think that that's a really uh, good mindset to have, uh, to be able to uh, believe in what you're doing and have confidence in what you're doing, to, and then to be able to fight like a junkyard dog to get it. Do you give actors a lot of leeway, or do you have strong control on the set? I think that what you're looking for is someone that will bring ideas in, and, and I don't think strict control on a set is a good idea, because it keeps uh, creativity from happening if they think that they have to fulfill your vision of what it is. Uh, you're there to guide uh, and to catch people if they fall or to try to guide people towards a, a more, uh, to refine a performance, but not to create it. You can't create it. They have to bring it. And you want people that are confident and believe in what they're doing and can bring you stuff that challenges you. And uh, if they're not comfortable saying a line, I have no problem rewriting it. Okay, Cradle Will Rock, which is about the whole WPA theater. What, what, what was the inspiration for you to make the that inspiration film? inspiration was hearing the story about what happened that night when they defied the ban against them and performed this play. It was just such an amazing story about creative freedom and expression and people risking their, their, their jobs but, and their livelihood and, and in, perhaps their lives because... Uh, I think two weeks before that incident of Cradle of Rock happened, there was a, a, some riots, uh, labor riots in Chicago where the cops killed like 16 people. So mm -hmm. there were cops in the theater and they were armed. And so I think it was a really uh, amazing kind of testament to the individual, that one woman that stood up and started the ball rolling that, that for me was really what freedom is all about. And so when I heard that story, I started doing research about the time and then all those other stories started finding their way in, into the script. What, just talk a little bit about your, your screenwriting, because you've written all the films you directed. I mean, just tell it, like, what, what is that process like for you, the, screen, the writing process? Uh, it's, it's, that's the lonely part, you know, and then when you're finished with the script, you, want, you don't want anyone, you know, I usually show it to my wife, and I don't want her to say anything negative, you know. <laughs> all I want to hear is it's brilliant. And what do you hear? Well, you know... <laughs> First, she knows. She says it's brilliant, but <laughs> <laughs> but uh, that one uh, cradle happened uh, over a long period of time because I kept researching. But mm. Dead Man Walking uh, came really fast. Mm. Uh, the adaptation was a lot easier to do than than the invention of the whole thing. Mm. Okay, well, Dead Man Walking, which showed both sides of the story and was so even-handed but so personal at the same time. I think you said, was that in the you know was that what the book was like or was that what you brought to it? Well, the book uh, has, yes, because the book has this revelation that Helen has uh, when she realizes that she was not thinking about the parents. Uh, and that, for me, was the key in the book, mm. was the, her 
uh, stumbling. Uh, her good intentions, but her total lack of knowledge of, of the overall picture and how that developed with her experience. And for me, that's when, it, when I was reading the book, that's when it, I, that was the movie, you know, because it was about her fallibility in, 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 in this horrendous situation. And so it, it, I, it was really essential to give dignity to the people that had lost their loved ones. As you saw Sister Helen Prejean recently speak and say that this film was right on the mark. She was shocked that you called her when you read her book. Well, actually, Su Susan found the book and ma forced me to read it. And uh, I'm glad she did. Um, uh, yeah, she's, uh, she's told me that she, you know, she goes all around the country and talks, and she shows the film first. And then she says that the, for, for her, uh, the film is really a gift because it kind of open, it tills the soil, as she puts it, for her to, uh, to, to begin a discussion with people about it. And um, she says she, she has uh, sensed a, a sea change in America about it. And, um, and poll numbers have gone from when it came out about 85% for to about 60 now. So something's going on. People are thinking a little bit more about it, maybe. Okay, so a question about advice for screenwriters. And is screenwriting as hard for you as it is for Nicolas Cage in adaptation? <laughs> <laughs> yes, it's like a nightmare. <laughs> I love that film because I've been through the process, and, it's, and you, you go, oh, my God, this is so bad. And then, and then you know, but the great thing is, since computers, because I started writing scripts, plays, and stuff, on typewriters, and, and you'd have to retype the whole damn thing, and now you could just move scenes around. It's just, it really was, what a revelation that was, to just be able to delete it and then insert it somewhere else. Um, I think the key is to get it done, you know, just to go get the story out there, get the whole thing done, knowing that you're going to rewrite it. You can't ever, no one can write a script from beginning to end, and it's all there. And I, I've rewritten uh, my thing so many times. Um, Cradle of Rock, I must have rewritten 15 times, 15 different drafts. It's just part of the process. And and if if you are lucky enough, at the end when you when you have a a thing you can read, if you can get five friends and read through it, you'll discover a lot of things about what works and what doesn't, and you'll be able to um, uh, start adapting uh, what the truth the truth you found into the script. Uh, and also, you, you 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 have to be able to be ruthless with your own stuff, and and be able to you know delete or throw out stuff that you originally thought was great. Um, the great thing also about computers is that you can put that stuff that you delete into a separate file, <laughs> and you should save it because sometimes later, after you've finished that third draft. You go into that little file and you'll find something, a real gem that you thought sucked, but now would really work well. So um, mm -hmm. we used to cut and paste mm -hmm. uh, when we were working on plays because we didn't have time to rewrite the whole thing. You know, sub the subconscious will come up with things that make no sense and that sometimes don't work, but there's a reason it came. It came. So it's, it's good sometimes just to store that stuff away and uh, and also, when you finish your draft, leave it alone for a couple months. Just 
let it lay. Don't think it's going to do anything right away. And, and then it'll, all that stuff that, that's in there will be gestating uh, in, in you as well. So, Thank you, and good luck with Mystic River and Can. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you for listening. The Pinewood Dialogues at Museum of the Moving Image are made possible by generous support from the Pannonia Foundation. To learn more about the museum, visit www.movingimage.us.